So, are we good to go? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Just let me have a drink of whiskey. <laughs> a bit left out. I haven't even got a glass of water. Yeah, I got a glass of wine. Oh, not I'm drinking Monday to Thursday, so this is a special occasion—a triple gin and tonic. I've yeah, had a place. Triple G and T on a Wednesday is a real treat. This is called the a debrief, essentially, that we never had. Mm. Yeah. We had several, but we're having another one. Yeah, I like the way that uh, if you're not drinking Monday to Thursday, you then have a triple gin. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll just have a little can of lager, a little sneaky can of lager. No, a triple gin and a massive goldfish glass. <laughs> oh well, good for you, mate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Backdrop Journal FFS podcast. And today we have the joy of chatting with Owen Day from Summit Ski Tours. Hi, Owen. Hey, how's it going, Pete? Good, thanks. Good. You okay? Yeah, man. Great. And uh, we've also got Andy Bill from the Backdrop Journal crew. Hi, Andy. Hello, Peter. You okay? I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And we've also got the extreme pleasure of being joined by Romy Nella, who is uh, a member of the Backdrop Journal crew, but he is a skier as opposed to uh, most of us that are snowboarders. So hi, Romy. Evening. Hello. You all good, mate? Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, I thought we'd start off, Owen, by chatting a little bit about your work that you do. Um, you are a heli guide. Uh, you specialise in ski touring base camps. Um, you're a dad. You're a high ropes access. You do a lot of high rope access work, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you work in Iceland mainly and in uh, Outer Terrace, BC. But you're also a bit of a tabloid star. And I would love to, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your tabloid sensation. Uh, that was a while back. Uh, it was a rope access job. And I was working on uh, was it one of the hospitals right across from Parliament. I was in Parliament and uh, I abseiled down into the maternity ward or outside. And I was tapping on the tiles. and. Uh, there was this lady who obviously just had twins and she was ecstatic. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And the first thing though, that I saw was this, this older gentleman <clears throat> and uh, he looked pretty ruined. <laughs> he looked kind of, kind of skinny and really tired. And, and I was like, oh, and, but she looked really good. And I was like, well, I'll give her the thumbs up. So I gave her the thumbs up outside. And of course I knew she was going to take a photo. So, cause I knew the houses of parliament was right behind me. And it turned out to be, uh, uh, oh, this is horrible, I, I forgot her name. Anyways, uh, it was the, the Woods, so Ronnie Wood, and I believe it, Rebecca, but I'm really bad with uh, famous people. So, and then I got put into the Daily, Daily Mail, I think. It was like page, yeah, that, page nine. <laughs> it was kind of cool. That's great, yeah. And how was Ronnie Woods? Did he... Did he look pissed off that you were dancing around outside the window? No, man. He was he was done in. I mean, too much done. too much stress, probably like the rest of us who'd gone through it and uh, had totally collapsed. And the, the mum was on on uh, adrenaline, so she was ecstatic and looked amazing. So she had twins, man. She looked great. I don't think Ronnie Woods uh, is uh, too stressed, mate. I don't think that's what's <laughs> done him in. Probably <laughs> not. There might be a, 
a litany of history that's uh, yeah, led to his demise and <laughs> him needing to lie down. Yeah. But anyway, oh, it's cool. It was great. It was, I remember seeing you in the paper and thinking, oh, I think I know that bloke. Classic. <laughs> so uh, it's been a bit of a, a mad season for, for everyone involved, really, this year. Um, have you managed to get any work done at all? Uh, lots of uh, child mining. I'm 100% child mining, so I'm... I'm doing all uh, taking care of my son, which has been great. Uh, and just due to obvious restrictions and travel and trying to take my, my family over to Canada or Iceland, it's proved to be more or less impossible and unrealistic. So I kind of uh, tweaked what I needed to do and that's been taking care of my son, which has been really cool. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. That's great. And how old is he? Uh, he's in the twos. So I'm getting really good experience of dealing with... Uh, it's kind of like your worst guest that you'd have on a trip <laughs> that I have him every day for, for brief, brief moments. He's not horrendous, but like, there's always going to be some kind of moment that he's kind of screaming at you. And but I, I equate that to being kind of dealing with guests when they're really <laughs> petulant. Like yeah. Well, imagine taking him ski touring. <laughs> That'd be really good. I hope that's not a dig at no, us. actually, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be a dig at heli skiers, but heli skiers are a little bit more uh, harder to deal with than ski tours. Ski tours are usually generally a little bit more uh, easier going and uh, for the most mm. part that I've encountered. So, yeah, I think heli skiers have uh, they've invested a lot of money, they want a lot, don't they? Yeah, there, there's got to be a return for it. So sometimes when the return's not there, it, it can prove to be difficult for, for some to stomach which is understandable. And um, for the benefit of, of the listeners, you heli guide in Iceland and um, out of Terrace, British Columbia, is that correct? Yeah, so I lead guide for Northern Escape Heli Skiing uh, in, in Canada, and then as well as in the springtime for Arctic Heli Skiing. So I've done that for, well, Northern Escape's been about almost 11 years and Arctic Heli schemes for five years that have been going so and um we met you over in Iceland when I came over to do a, an article and we shot a little film the film that's on our website and stuff that showed at Banff and everything it was a very successful film that we made uh with your help and um could you for people who absolutely no idea what's what it's like to go touring or heli skiing in Iceland so um you know the perspective of somebody who's possibly just skied in resorts in the Alps or maybe done a little bit of touring what if they what they could expect if they were to come over to Iceland what's the sort of main differences uh well I think uh ski touring wise you know you're you'll be outside of boundaries so the snow is what it is it's not groomed and so you have to be relatively proficient um, in Iceland, you don't really get deep powder snow. They would never sell it as that, but you do get uh, you do get good powder, but you also get really good spring snow or corn snow. And uh, so it's, it's to do with timing. And then I think a lot of it is uh, just the general environment. It's, it's completely different because there's no trees, it's all alpine, but then that leads to the sea, which is pretty neat. And uh, I think one of the major components is just like the cultural immersion into Iceland and some really cool fishing uh, villages uh, that have turned into tourism spots over the year. And so there's a lot of, of that Icelandic culture uh, and a foreign language. And, you know, it's like you go anywhere 
new, um, all the wrappers to the candy bars are different. So it makes it really exciting to try to figure out what, what that candy wrapper thing is. So it's not all about the skiing, I'd say in Iceland. It's the whole, it's the complete package. And um, what sort of size are the mountains? What sort of altitude? I mean, if you're starting around sea level, presumably when you tour. Yeah, um, for, for the most part, uh, the, the mountains around uh, the sea go up to about 900 to 1000 meters. And then if you go work further back in the deeper part of the valleys where the glaciers are, which are pretty basic glaciers in the Troll Peninsula, they go up to like 13 or 1350 meters. So something like that. So relatively low. So it's, it's actually really good. You don't, you don't get pounded by elevation um, mm. that you do maybe in some other places, but what do you mean by basic How much? Uh, so the, the the glaciers aren't very complex they're kind of old neves um, there's not many crevasses or anything so it's basically uh, where it used to be previously glaciated and now all your all that's really left is just kind of uh, ice that's more like snowfields there's not many crevasses and if they're there they're known they're very simple glaciers so it's not too difficult to navigate no, yeah. So if you go to like Chamonix, that's very complex glacier systems. There's ice falls. There's just a lot of hazard everywhere. And uh, in Iceland, you don't really have that on on the Troll Peninsula. You would have that in the south coast, where where there's actually quite complex glaciers there. So um, yeah. So most of your work has been up in the north. Yeah, that's where they're based. They also do trips uh, in the northwest. They do kind of a boat trip as well as the east but their home base it's my my friend yokel and uh he he runs a lodge out of his like uh his grandparents sheep farm so hmm. it, it's got it's really neat it, it's a, quite a bit different so is there is there still uh, much skiing in the south there are just other companies doing that it just happens to be that your most of your experience is in the north or is generally most of the skiing in the north yeah i think it's it uh Andy, it's more to do with access there, there's so much great access off the road system that day trips are accessible um i'd say it's really friendly for people who who are just like who have a, a basic ski touring knowledge of it and can get around and navigate without having the complexity of kind of running through uh very intricate kind of glacier systems so that's what you get in, in the south is just like uh, ice falls with like really ugly crevasse systems that are just kind of difficult to navigate unless you, you know, okay. unless you're winging it and don't really care or if you're really on it, which is kind of difficult sometimes with, with that much hazard involved. Okay, cool. And uh, when you're out for a day, would you expect to see other groups? uh it, it i'd say like depend on the year or and depend on the year and depending on on the time of year uh it does get busy uh but there's always a spot to go really like you can always kind of go out of the way and it's not like the alps i would say you know how, how it's pretty rammed in certain periods of the time or all the time uh but it, it is busy um but there's plenty of room and if you're kind of uh yeah, if, if you're kind of adapt to where people are going, you, you can avoid people more or less. And if you do meet people, people are really pretty stoked. And so it's not like a, 
a local localism kind of thing like you're gonna shred my line or something like that there's none of that going on people are pretty stoked to see each other so and is there like a local scene i mean yeah no there is for sure uh you know the the locals um are they're more sledders than anything else so you might encounter some sleds because actually you can snowmobile um around or uh i think the timber bikes or snow bikes go around quite a bit but they kind of stick to certain areas um and and then you know there's people from Reykjavik uh, that come up um so there there is but you know a general population of of iceland is pretty pretty small and so within that you don't really have that that amount of skiers that are are um able or interested in doing it type thing those that are are out there all the time for sure population of iceland is like two hundred thousand. is that right yeah i think it's it's a little bit more andy i think it's like three three fifty plus and i you know might even be four i haven't looked at it but i, I right. remember it's quite small yeah. and all the towns around they're, they're little towns you know they're like when i when i grew up in canada i grew up in a town of Ten thousand people, and that that was a that was actually a city, to be honest. And that's that's kind of the same in in Iceland is that they're even smaller. Like you know, Dalvik is a thousand people, and that's where we're based out of. I mean, I remember one of the highlights of, of being over there with you and touring was um, at the end of the day coming back, and there's just like an endless supply of piping hot water to the hot tub outside. That's just you know geothermal heated water, and you just you're lounging in this hot tub, you know, naturally heated water that's come up from the center of the earth almost, drinking <laughs> a beer and it's snowing. Um, and the other thing I really, really remember is getting up one morning and walking through about 15, 20 centimeters of fresh snow to get breakfast and then coming back and there was nothing, it had gone. And, and the wind is just the weather. Could you tell us a little bit about the weather up there? Yeah, the, the, the weather is definitely intense um, and, uh, you know, it can, it can kind of, it can get really, really windy. It's obviously an island and it comes for all directions. So when the weather does come, it comes in pretty strong. Um, you know, you can go up certain valleys. Uh, I think when, when, when you and Zach came up, it was pretty windy and snowy for the majority of the time that you were there. And, uh, you know, when, that happens either you know you just bear it and kind of go out and uh deal with the weather that you get yeah it was pretty brutal when we were there i mean what time of year do you do you work there or what uh, really is the best time is it spring oh uh, you know when a storm hits it hits yeah you know and so it's one of those things that if you do go you, you try especially for ski touring you go for try go for longer if you can you know, a week trip rather than four days, you're not going to, there's a good chance you might get skunked. And I wouldn't say skunked, you still get really cool experiences of being in, in kind of storm inclement weather. It's just trying to navigate uh, in that weather is sometimes a bit daunting, I would say. Yeah. But the, um, the days are really long, aren't they? Because you're so far north. Yeah, so the season, usually we start guiding in, in about March and it goes all the way to June, end of June. But by then it's like, you know, it's 24 hour sunlight. Uh, and so that that's actually one of the pluses that uh, if a storm rolls in during the whole day, you can actually delay until the evening. Yeah. And then you have this amazing light, this alpenglow kind of 
uh, yeah, just all these pastel colors are just amazing. You wouldn't get normally in anywhere else, I think. And that, that in itself is the experience that you get there as well. So you just have to delay and play with the weather, that kind of thing. And that's as late as June. Uh, yeah, I mean, the snow, like you're not going for powder, I'll tell you that, but uh, you get really good corn um and sometimes you, you don't but it, it is pretty amazing with the the skiing you get and that's predominantly heli skiing because then you can poach things not poach things but you can get to where you need to go and then get out as quick as possible so for ski touring i think you you start to see less and less people by mid mid-may more or less uh there's still some really good ski touring to be had in late may but it just depends on uh how much you want to muster kind of accessing because you'll have to walk a little bit further mm -hmm. uh, on dirt roads a little bit to get up to the snow line and then start so it, it involves maybe a bit more rustic and and but it's great it's 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 a lot of fun early early starts and early finishes is the way to go in the spring like anywhere else yeah i mean it's the the first time in my life um that i've actually seen an advantage of being over 50 because when I turned 50, I have to be honest, I was like, bollocks, <laughs> I'm really getting old. And I don't like the sound of saying I'm 50, but uh, I'm getting the COVID jab on a Sunday because I'm over 50. So it's the first time in my life I've been thinking, well, as long as it don't kill me, <laughs> that is. But I was thinking, uh, great. So, you know, it's like music to my ears to think that I could get out to, uh, to Iceland in June, as late as June, and make some turns because you know, as I've moaned on every single pod that we've done, I haven't made a single turn this season. You know, yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think if you think about it, like the majority of people are in that situation, unless they're seasoners or people who live in mountain towns, and so the rest of us have just had to adapt to to uh, whatever we've had. And actually, it's been cool. Like I've I've cycled way more in in around uh eastern kind of east london epping forest and that stuff so you just have to adapt and, and take take what you got and make the most of it otherwise you know you can't you can't do much about it it is it is what it is but it is great that the vaccine is coming out. good good you're getting it for sure yeah i mean that's a great attitude i mean but it don't make me feel any better <laughs> if i'm totally honest i'm like bollocks i really really want to go snowboarding yeah I know. i'm I thinking know. i'm thinking it's brilliant that I'm over 50 and I'm going to get the jab, but I'm thinking I've only got like another 10 really hard seasons <laughs> left in me. And then, then it's going to be, you know, can I even get down to my feet to do my bindings up? No, so, no. I, I met <laughs> a lot only of... Joking. I'm only joking. I, yeah, no, I met a lot of older older people that were skiing well past their, you know, late 70s. And, uh... no, I, I know. I'm, I'm only joking about the, the not doing it. I'm just thinking it's the uh, the level that you're doing it at, you know. Uh, yeah. You're going to rein it in, aren't you? When you when you get a little older, I've got to try and keep up with Romy. You know, what I mean, I was going to say, speak for yourself, mate. <laughs> You've got to watch the Laird Hamilton video where he's talking about aging and how he deals with aging. And he has camps. He gets. Uh, he 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 actually specialises that with his wife. Um, diet, exercise, meditation, stretching. And it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty inspiring. Yeah, I've been doing my best, man. But, you know, if you're stuck indoors all day and your office is the kitchen, I've been, <laughs> there's been too many little snackerels. 
you're, you're not in Maui. You're not on the beach in Maui. No, I'm not, mate. <laughs> anyway, you're, I'm the only one here who hasn't got a massive alcoholic drink in front of them. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not taking any lecturing from you lot. That's for sure. So, uh, has anyone got any other questions about Iceland or anything else you feel we should know about Iceland? Uh, I mean, the well, one thing... Go on, Romy. I was wondering, I, I think some of your listeners will have been to Norway and how it compares, like, the landscape to the north of, I know, Lofoten or Lingen. Um, it's not quite as dramatic, is it? It's more rounded in Iceland. I haven't been in Norway, so I think this ah, is more of a beat. Okay, it's <laughs> Pete then. I was waiting for you on it. Um, well, what I experienced, yes, I would say it was more um, akin to sort of, yeah, rounded, lower rounded hills, not so spiky. Um, there are sort of cool wires about, but a lot of the terrain we did, which was, you know, possibly to do with we had pretty rough weather, was quite wide open slopes. Yeah, I know. It when it good pitch on them and everything, and we had really good snow, actually. You say there's not a lot of powder, but there was. we had good powder. But, um yeah, it's not like the gnarly shooting steep couloirs like in the foam. There's something magical about skiing down to the sea. It's, you know, you can say it, you can talk about it, it's actually being there. That feeling is unique. You get it in New Zealand, you get it, you know, certainly I can imagine, you know, I've not been to Iceland, but I can imagine it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, and the, the light in the late evenings is that sort of bluey hue. It's just, yeah. So, um, do you want to tell us a bit about um, BC then? Because uh, we've got the the bear chase, because for anybody who hasn't familiarised themselves with the Backdrop Journal website, there's a lot of stuff on there about us being chased by a bear. And that was uh, in with Owen's camp, <laughs> Summit Ski Tours. But uh, before we talk about the, the bear escapade, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the work you do up in Terrace. Yeah, no, Pete, I thought we were just going to talk about Iceland. Uh, no, no, I think a little bit of bear. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, I know. So, uh, yeah, I've been guiding out of uh, out of Terrace for 11 years. So mainly heli skiing, doing ski touring as well. And, uh, yeah, so spent a lot of time in the mountains in that area. And, uh, yeah, then then run kind of base camp trips as well. So it's kind of, but mainly, mainly but predominantly has been heli skiing in that area. So... And uh, I mean, a lot of people won't ever have heard of Terrace, let alone know where it is or what it's like. It's it's like a real industrial town, eh? is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's actually kind of. It reminds me of uh, where I grew up. I grew up in Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, and it's kind of a small industrial town. And I would say Terrace is very similar. So I felt quite at home, and it's only like you know, oh, it's probably about fifteen thousand people now in terrace and you know all around it it's just really amazing mountains and they get a predominantly a huge amount of snow so right now i think they have something like at the ski hill 415 centimeters of, of solid base it's a pretty massive year wow. and that's just because it's so close to the coast so when it pummels it, it comes down they've had an exceptional year especially with la nina they typically have uh that's the time to go especially terraces they just have big winters then and have they been affected by this um unstable snowpack that's been across a lot of the u.s states like in uh, you know i think every area has has periods of time when they have some kind of persistent weak layer 
Um, so I think it's different because the, the way, the way they track, uh, for the most part, it snowed quite a lot and there's been a couple layers here and there. And the most recent one that just got buried probably become an issue because of how, how large the, uh, the one layer is. So. And, um, when you say the, uh, the ski hill there, you mean Shames mountain there. Yeah? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Cause we've been there and it's, it's a really special place, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is cool. Like, you know, you have uh, a really slow double chairlift, you know, a really slow T-bar and amazing tree skiing. And you can only upload so many people and it snows like crazy, like two centimeters, maybe even five centimeters an hour sometimes when the storms do come in. And so, you know, if you're there, there's a good chance to probably ski pow. And uh, it's neat too, cause like it's predominantly really like enthusiastic locals who are really passionate and the ski hills a cooperative. It's the first in Canada. And it was bought out by the uh, co-op about, oh, I'd say eight years, maybe nine years ago. I'm not quite sure exactly. And since then they've been using kind of using the co-op to, to kind of uh, make it function as a ski hill and they've done really well and they've improved it every year. And uh, Christian is is the guy behind the whole thing, and he's amazing. puts a lot of effort into it, and is is kind of like the linchpin to the whole whole place. And uh, as well as all the locals that volunteer to make it to make it happen, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's just neat. It's just an amazing valley, and uh, you know, it's in a horseshoe kind of valley with amazing mountains around and great ski touring, slack country, uh, really easy access for kind of short short little trips but like cool cool lines everywhere you know you never get you never get bored of the train there and, that, and that's the cool thing about it yeah I, I mean forgive me if i use the wrong terminology but um i thought there was a real inclusivity for first first nations in canada or were they native americans i'm not sure yeah there, there definitely is kind of uh i think the general atmosphere around there is definitely inclusive. I would say they just, you know, everybody's just stoked to be there and they're excited that everybody's coming up and, 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 you know, that even, you know, you go to a place where sometimes locals would be like, kind of, oh, they know you're a tourist right away and they might give you the cold shoulder, but this place, you know, they'll know that you're, you're out of town and you might get invited to go to a party, you know, a barbecue or some kind of thing like that after the fact it's, it's that kind of, it's a lot of the ski, smaller ski hills that you don't normally go to or you hear about in Canada and, and everywhere, actually, I think that, you know, they're like, oh, we're having a, you know, a potluck or something. You should come and, you know, come join us. And uh, I think that's that's kind of the cool thing of going to these smaller places. And and Shames is that and Terrace is that, as well as Prince Rupert. You know, there's two, two it's between two, two towns and, and that's kind of what supports it. Yeah, I mean, I really felt at home there and after the uh, incident with the bear we were all celebrities you know people <laughs> wanted our autographs <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is um possibly a good time to to chat about it so you run uh, base camps oh in here where <laughs> the idea i did run the, base camps <laughs> the idea is no that, I, I run base camps yeah for sure yeah. so our base camp uh, just to give people a, a rough idea, we 
helicopters into the back country. And it was into the, uh, the tenure of the heli-ski operation that you worked for, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Northern Escape's ten tenure. Uh, so it's a run that I've skied a lot and spent a lot of time. And, uh, and I always kind of dreamed of making this base camp trip somewhere. And this was the, the spot. And I was like, this is amazing terrain all around it. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we headed in and um, we spent like seven, eight hours building camp, I reckon. Good, good. It felt like that anyway, digging, digging out uh, food stores and uh, the kitchen tent and putting all our tents up. And I remember digging down a very long way to look for uh, water and just finding mud eventually. So we had to then <laughs> look for water elsewhere. And, uh, and we settled in for the night. Um, it was a cold night, actually. I remember being being pretty cold and uh, waking up. Yeah, it was snowing as well. Yeah, and it was it had been snowing. I, I was, remember feeling feeling quite tired at breakfast actually because because uh, I hadn't slept that well because it had been cold and um, and then we were split into two groups and because I was such a a, a lame southerner, I was uh, in the second group because I wasn't ready. But the first group went off, which uh, Romy, you were part of, and Andy, you were both part of it. Um, but maybe, Romy, let's start with you. So do you want to tell us what happened in the morning once you set off from camp? Yeah, well, like, <clears throat> I'd only met, I, I hardly uh, knew Owen. I'd only met him in a pub in London for a kind of briefing and question and answer session. So being in his group and getting to chat to him was cool. We skinned up through the forest um, from the camp, which was just beautiful light, fresh snow, cold, amazing views, you know, glaciers, peaks. Um, what, what, Andy, you had the timings. Did we do it? Did, was it an hour the first time? We were leisurely, we were taking it easy, we were talking. Is that right? It was an hour to get to the summit the first time. Yeah, it was about that. It was about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was windy at the top but it was totally comfortable i mean it was just a dream it was an absolute dream start and uh the boarders built their boards the skiers got ready um and we just skied down whooping and hollering in what boot deep knee deep somewhere between boot and knee yeah through the forest on the edges of the forest as we were going through it um then it was it was really deep and uh, fluffy, fluffy pow. That was fantastic. And then all the way down to the valley floor, wasn't it? And so that was what we had. I mean, it could not have been a better run. I think, Owen, you intended for us to stop at the camp, I think, and have a, have a break or skin back up from the camp. Yeah, I mean, we, we skied all the way to the valley bottom and then we were going to stop uh briefly at the base camp so we went past and saw my friend manuela who was doing the the catering for us and i kind of said yeah you know we can't hang out here long because i've had other groups with other previous base camp trips that as soon as i get back to the base camp it's too nice not too nice but you know you have a soup you have a uh oh. a coffee and then before you know it you basically two hours have gone not with me and Bela in the group. No way. We wouldn't have stopped at all. I was talking about on the way down. So we, I didn't know you intended to ski all the way to the valley floor. 
Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe but, I stopped, but I was pretty sure if I was going to ski it, I would have skied it all the way to the valley bottom. Oh, my legs were burning. First run, you know, jet lag, all the, you know, oh, absolutely burning, but mm. with ecstasy, the, the most amazing feeling. I mean, I think there are photos of us high five, me and Andy, high-fiving, hugging, shouting, jumping. It was just, yeah, mega. Yeah. But yeah. that was just a warm-up run, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think I may have coined it that way, for sure. <laughs> and then I remember uh, I was in the second group, but because I was slightly uh, more advanced in, in preparations than the rest of them, I set off on my own following your skin track. And uh, I was skinning up through the woods on my own. And, and then I remember sort of breaking the tree line and then regrouping with with the rest of my group that had caught me up because I was going really slow. And then we saw you all like steaming down, whooping with joy. And we went up to the top and, you know, built everything up and rode all the way down to, to the Valley Floor too, um, obviously passing you because you were going back up again by that stage. Um, yeah, and then, then the radio crackled into life. And- um, So I can take it from here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we we did stop in camp for a coffee or change of socks or whatever, and then we started skinning up from the camp through the forest. And uh, that something that's uh, that that sticks in my mind when you're skinning with with friends, and me and Pete have done a lot, just us two. You can have a conversation. The guy in front never looks round and talks to the guy behind because it's uncomfortable. You just head down. You're you're looking around. You're skinning up. But because Owen's super polite and guide, and he probably doesn't remember this, I was talking some rubbish about skis or my Canadian cousins or whatever. And he was really polite. And we've been going, um, I'm not sure, 20 minutes. I'm not exactly sure how long. He just, uh, we were still in, the, still in the trees above our camp. Um, he just glanced over his shoulder to sort of acknowledge what I was saying and to nod and to say, yeah, that ski's great or whatever. And I, I just looked at his face, which just changed, the whole expression changed. And I looked over my shoulder and beyond Andy and Hebe, who was the, a lady in our group dressed in bright red, just bit tucked in behind us was a, what I would call like a medium sized bear. And my immediate thought was, I'm so embarrassed, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's like, oh, wow, this is really cool. A bear in nature. <laughs> and, uh, and that lasted like way longer than it should have done. I was like, yeah. And then Owen, I just can't, it's the, my mind, the memory scrambled, but obviously it was not cool because it was far closer than it should have been. It was way closer to Hebe. And Owen took charge, control, whatever and uh andy take it from there mate wow well i mean i yeah so i think i was just just behind you um we also had griff in the group didn't we yeah that's right uh but yeah owen looked over his shoulder you looked over your shoulder i looked so then i looked over my shoulder and uh i yeah i seem to recall this this bear had his head down kind of looking at the trail moving along the trail maybe 10 meters behind Hebe, something like that. So it kind of effectively joined our group because we were all spaced out a little bit. Um, 
and I think Owen, you started making some noise, clapping your poles together, and I can't re really remember what happened I, next. Can I jump in? Yeah. So I, from my memory, me and you and possibly Owen all stood together, mm. made a huge sort of conglomerate, and we're smashing our poles together. And it's all lightweight touring yeah, kit. It doesn't make much noise. No, there was no noise. <laughs> it was like ridiculous. We're trying so hard. The bear looked up like, what, what, what are you doing? And just kept, you know, trundling towards Hebe. Yeah. What were you, yeah. What were you thinking, Owen? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first, honestly, the first thought, uh, when I look back and, and Rami was talking to his cousins and they're talking about Retallic or whatever, Retallic cat skiing operation, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's a good place. And that's why I probably turned around. Um, basically, I first glance, I thought a dog, like, like fraction of a second. Then I thought, no, no dog here. Wolf? I said, no, that's a, that's a, that's a bear. <laughs> and the bear was 15 meters adjacent or just across from this kind of tree bush and from Hebe. And we were about, I'd say 30-ish, 25 meters. It's hard, it's hard, like all the measurements are kind of fudgy and kind yeah. of who knows. Uh, and yeah, then we did the whole banging our poles, trying to get everybody, you know, everybody tells you, you hear these things about bears and like, okay, well now we got to do some stuff here. And I definitely was not obviously expecting it. And uh, I think, uh my concern grew as because he was kind of walking in in his own he's making his own track and the snow was pretty deep and he was pretty he just woken up obviously and uh it takes a lot of energy to walk and build your own trail and so he was post holing you know like when you're snowboarding you're kind of like wallowing that's what he was doing with four legs and all that weight with no sleep or with no sleep but basically just wake woken up and no food and, uh, but he hit her up track and that's when his, his speed dramatically increased. And I, I think that's when all of a sudden it was like, okay, now we actually have to move because he's not, he's not, he's still coming at us. He's still curious. And, uh, you know, being a group is not working off, you know, trying to deter him or anything. So I think at that point, it was obvious that we needed to increase our pace. And I think we, it's obvious that we did, um, and then that's when we started kind of, I got everybody to run ahead of us and it was running. It wasn't, it wasn't kind of idle ski touring. It was no longer just off the, you know, off the plane jet lagged. It was straight into uh, quite marked uh, pace. And I think we have that, don't we, Andy? Yeah, yeah, we had it all on, we've got it all on Strava and uh, yeah, our pace more than doubled um, according to those stats. Um, You're still talking about metallic at this stage, Romy. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was. Uh, can I? Can I add? So when we started moving, there was a gentlemanly phase where Owen was obviously in charge and he was thinking about the bigger picture, and me and Andy were kind of the clients, sort of like. And one thing we did was get Hebe to us, and gentlemanly. Right, we got to go, Hebe, in front, go. She was wearing bright red. It was like a red, what's that, those matador cloaks in my mind. So <laughs> we got her in front of us. She's literally, I mean, I'm short. She's shorter than me. She's about half the height of Andy. Yeah. 
And after, mm, I don't know, five minutes, it was like, this isn't working. This pace is not working. The bear's still exactly the same distance that he was before. So you're like, heebie, heebie, let, let's, 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 let's set the track, you know, any excuse. So we, I think I overtook Hebe with Bela behind me. And then my ski came off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Bela was like, you, you better get that. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then, so then I was in front again. Uh, God, that's, that's still something that, okay, that was just pure luck, but I still feel guilty about ending up in front of that. <laughs> but I always, I always uh, rationalised it that you knew that you get, we'd get to a summit at some point and you would have to build your board. Yeah, so it takes me however many, 45 seconds, a minute, whatever, two minutes to unwrap my skins, my bindings just click in and I'm skiing. You're how long? Five minutes, 10 minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably probably five minutes because you're you know, shaking hands. There was not five minutes days. behind, was he? No, he wasn't. No. <laughs> and was the bear, was it making any noise? Or was it just head uh, down? We no. We were making noise and it was our own breaths huffing and puffing and yelling at each other to get going. You know, we're, I think Andy had it at like something like 400 meters an hour, which is, which is a pretty marked pace for, especially for people the first day acclimatizing to, to, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Getting off. In altitude going 400 meters in an hour. No, it's more just, just off the plane. It was pretty And, uh, yeah, it, I mean, Rami's ski, you're, you're talking about someone who's never skied with Dynafit's, Dynafit bindings, for example, and he had to put the binding on, and I remember Griff was like, put it on, put it on, put it on. <laughs> First hit, I couldn't do that now. I, I just banged the toe piece, banged it with my pole, really slowly put the toe piece in, boom, and it just clicked on. Honestly, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of things going through your brain. And at this time, this is where we're kind of starting to crackle with the radio. Like I pulled it out telling uh, the guy that was with you, Eric, you know, we got a situation, you got to go to the base camp. Uh, we got a bear chasing us. You, you have to tell Manuela, I was telling Manuela to get ready, get on your board, get ready to ski down in case you need to take the sat phone. Cause if we didn't have communication, uh, we had other communication. We had like in reaches with us, but we didn't have the sat phone. It was in that, it was with Manuela. And, uh, so it was all kind of very fast paced. And I think after the, your ski incident, Rami, we went through a, a kind of a, a set of trees and we did a, a switchback and that switchback is where we realized that it was kind of like, we were kind of joking about it. And then it became real, I think for me is that the bear uh, did what a dog would do. It basically cut the corner of a skin, uh, ski touring track on the corner That's and right. it came right through the trees and it gained like 50 meters, well, not 50 meters, but you know, like a considerable distance. And he was all of a sudden, instead of being uh, 35 meters away, he was now again, 20 meters away from mm -hmm. us. And so that's when I told everybody to start running. You need to run up and that's it. So at some point, oh, and I, weren't you and Griff considering striking out on a different path because Griff was a very experienced uh, skier spent a lot of time with you on on different trips um, 
I recall that. I don't know if that was a thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it might have. We might have discussed it. I, I think if I if I would have done that, I think I probably would have told Griff to continue going up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I considered going off to the side, but who knows? I might might be making this up for the podcast. But at, at that point, you know, you're, you there's a weird things running through your brain. Yeah. and and like i had weird thoughts like oh i could take him over to the slope i know where i could avalanche him you know <laughs> it's stupid like things like that but these like these like yeah. what can i do what can i do what can yeah. i do yeah. and i was like oh, i could ditch my backpack i could lead him off to the side is my waiver going to cover me for this <laughs> my memory is categorically that you did go off to the side with griff no uh, no that's mad yeah it was it was it was pretty quick pace and we I might have gone slightly off but I, I remember following the up track that was there that we previously were we're skinning on our old up track yeah so. okay so at some point you were at the back we'd we'd maneuvered ourselves to the front <laughs> fair means or foul and you you were at the back and I I see this went on for about 25 minutes and then yeah eventually we got to the top of the forest did another turn on the skin track and the bear didn't come around the corner. Yeah, we didn't see the bear and, and the terrain itself is, is kind of a pyramid. Uh, so I've skied this intricately, like I've skied it for 10 years. I know every single line in it. Never seen a bear. <laughs> 10 years I've never seen in like, you know, 80 by, by 50 kilometers. I've never seen a bear skiing every single yeah. day from, from December to the end of March. And uh, yeah, the, the train itself was it lent it to a pyramid. And I think you guys were a little bit concerned about going through the forest, but I knew that the distance involved for him to travel across was unrealistic for him to come across. So I wasn't too concerned, but trying to coax you guys down through to go down was actually really difficult. So yeah. I hate to ask this, but I've got to ask, um, bear bangers, guns, anything like that? What? Yeah, totally. What's the deal? I mean, yeah, you've been there 10 years, you've never seen a bear. Uh, so we didn't have them. But if you yeah, went back... Uh, the, ne the next trip will have bear bangers and, and bear spray. <laughs> but, I mean, do you think they would have worked? Because of the... Um, yeah, no... It's sort of groggy from just being woken up. It's almost like a sort of coming out of a diabetic slumber or something I've had it described as, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the conservation officer that I talked to after the report of the incident, he basically, you know, he said he was probably more inquisitive than anything else. I mean, he's too too close for us to even consider whether he was thinking of us as dinner or not. Yeah. Um, but I think bear bangers would have been a good start. They would have at least kind of given us a bit of space and deterred him. We'd still have to get out of there. Like this, you're not going to hang around. And that, that's the crux of it. It's just like you've had a bear encounter. He now knows you're there. It's likely that they'll come back. And, yeah. and so, and the bear spray, you know, I think I'm, I'm considering doing that on my spring trips now, just because I've had, the, had it happen. If I didn't bring it, I'd, I'd <laughs> probably be negligent of, of, of not, not doing my due diligence. And do you feel that, um, if it had really wanted to get you, it could have? Or do you think it was doing its darnest to, to catch you? No. no it, I think it was just ambling along. Like Owen said, when it cut the track, we were putting absolutely everything to getting away from it. 
it was ambling along, then it cut the track, no effort, it gained, just accidentally gained whatever, 15, 20 meters on us. Yeah. If, it, if it wanted to, whether it had the capacity not having eaten for, for five months, that's a different question, but uh, a normal bear in normal conditions, you know, mm. it's obvious that it could have easily, I mean, it was what Owen said, potholing through the snow. I didn't actually notice it slow down very much. It seemed no. to be to be going to a similar speed through, you know, sort of knee waist deep powder on a human than he was on our skin track. Mm. Yeah. Which was terrifying. So, yeah, I, I mean, when, sorry, Andy, I mean, so when you got to the top, um, Owen was, was conscious that it was fine to take the route down through the forest because he knew the terrain and he felt that the bear wouldn't be able to get across in the time that it took you to ski down but as as clients and i'm familiar with the terrain what were you thinking about riding down i was thinking how is he be gonna get down because me and andy had to put her skis on she didn't have the strength to click her heels binding down but she was I'm so sure good. i'm sure i was on my knees and i clicked her boots into her skis so i was that's what i was thinking that you know how, how, how are we going to get her down mm. she's been the closest by far mm. yeah and i i think she realized that she was the closest as well and, I, and yeah. it's pretty when you're when you when you kind of i think especially for i think the four of us or the five of us that were in that group compared to you say pete our experience was completely different and we all had different experiences at different moments yeah. that were kind of uh you know quite quite pronounced and quite uh, had an effect on you. And I think everybody was tweaked slightly different depending on their character as well. And, and you think the bear was out chasing you for about 25 minutes? Or yeah. 20, 25 minutes. So yeah. Owen, you, you were thinking about avalanching it and whether your insurance was going to cover you. <laughs> Yeah, there's um, a brief, there's a brief. No, I, don't know. I didn't that. say that, that that was really considering much of that. Those were, those are things that came in my brain that I yeah, thought yeah. were no, that's, funny that's at the moment. It's, it's, you know, it's a really, really high pressure situation. I'm, I'm only you know, pulling it. Um, Romy, I won't, I won't ask Andy this because Andy had completely selfishly gone to the front to get away. But, oh. <laughs> no, I'm only joking, mate. But uh, Romy, what, what was going through your mind on the on the way up? Started thinking, oh my god, this is the best base camp snow. Oh no, this is shit. What's happening? I want to ski. Oh, you know, it was like it was panic, worst case doom scenario of someone in the group getting eaten, all the way to oh my god, my you know selfish ski trips being ruined. You know the whole gamut of emotions like Owen said every few seconds just rolling over all these crazy thoughts you know it, 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 in literally half a second that would process yeah did, did any of those dark thoughts uh, haunt you did they come back or was it just literally they were in and out and gone yeah I'm haunted the fact that we had to leave <laughs> all that fresh power man okay. I was the only one that voted to stay <laughs> so yeah right <laughs> So, so one of your was it a democracy? I don't remember voting. No, I don't think there was a democracy. So, what, anyway, 
Okay, so you were more concerned about having to leave than uh, you know yeah. trying to rescue someone who had their chest ripped open. No, no, I, I realised that that was you know futile very quickly. Yeah. Anyway, so you guys came into camp, and I remember because I was in the other group, um, and Owen, you'd radioed through and spoken to Eric, and he sort of said the bear, and we were trying to shoot for a film, and we were like, Eric, Eric, shit. Get Owen to do that again so we can film it coming through. And he 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 was a bit sort of, oh, well, I don't know if I should, but he did it. And I remember you saying, uh, yeah, not right now, mate. <laughs> so we got a bit of a situation, but we were in camp and we were still quite jovial, if I'm honest. We were thinking, oh, I wonder what they've done. They've spotted a bear. That seems a bit funny. But when you guys came into camp and I saw your faces, I knew that, you know, something really serious had gone down. And um, could you tell us a little bit about your, your thought process, Owen, about once you'd come back to camp and we'd all regrouped, what you were thinking? Yeah, I think even before it, you know, when, I, when we had that conversation on the radio, I did play up. I was like, like kind of, okay, I'll try. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a bear chasing us. And then, and then after a bit, I was like, no, nah, this is getting serious. Like, yep. I think the re you know, you do these things and you, you, you quickly realize. And uh, I think he, before I got to the top, before we skinned, I basically done the calculation that like, there's no way you could hang out at camp for, you know, the next night and wonder if the bear's going to come back. Cause we woke him up pretty early okay? and there's still a month more to sleep. Uh, and I think they just like the, the mental math of it is just like, this isn't going to happen. And you know, we need to pull the pin and it was, it was very tough decision, but it was pretty easy because it was, it was just glaringly obvious. Mm. When bears hibernate, Owen, how many could be hibernating in the same area? How close do they hibernate that's a, together? That's a good question, Andy. I don't know. I think, I think they, they do, unless they're small cubs and, and very close to the mum, then maybe they would but I don't know, to be honest. I mean, the last movie I watched yeah. was Bear, and that was yeah. when I was 12, and the, and the cubs hung out with the, the mom for, like, one winter, and then they got lost, and they got booted out of, you know, home, so who knows? Yeah, I think the males hibernate on their own, don't they, and the women? Yeah. Hibernate I mean, they get out. They, yeah. they actually, you know, they get out. They have to, they do get out of their dens, um, which I was surprised to find out um considering like i've sk skied around that area and never seen a bear or a hole or anything that kind of thing so um yeah yeah i think there'd be signs wouldn't they that when they wake if if you didn't get fresh snow so the fresh snow covers over the signs that, uh, um i mean on inspection i mean with, camp, with, uh, back, there was there was footprints wouldn't there around the camp or yeah actually on on that I think, well, I remember saying, oh yeah, I know there's footprints right up to it. And I looked at the photo afterwards and I think that was a bit of an embellished fa fact on my part. Okay. Yeah, I did look at it and I remember walking around and there's a photo of like Hebe and Griff and right behind them is this like, what looks to be a track, bear track. And in actual fact, it was me when we were trying to find the watering hole. Right. <laughs> and we didn't we found our our portal loo which is only like you know our, our outhouse or our dug hole that we dug all the way down the ground and then realized there was no water which is why the camp took so long in the first place and uh it was actually 250 meters away from you know from the bear 
so the dam so i yeah i mean i i seem to recall someone saying that there were tracks quite close to that toilet and i can remember sitting on that toilet at like 4 a.m not having been able to sleep and it was snowing slightly and there was a weird kind of light you could kind of see a bit down i remember seeing down into the valley i think this is the most beautiful toilet view toilet experience ever <laughs> of course <laughs> uh you didn't yeah, get a big not knowing what could have been furry hands come on your shoulder or anything <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, someone, yeah, something. Someone handed me the uh, toilet roll. Oh, thanks very much. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. But I mean, oh, we'd man. we'd tried pretty hard to wake anything up in that area. I mean, we'd landed a couple of helicopters on them. We had cooked one beautiful meaty evening meal, followed by a bacony breakfast. <laughs> Yeah, that would wake anyone, wouldn't it? Right. <clears throat> so um, we got out uh, and the, the weather closed in, didn't it? So we got half the group out and then the weather sort of closed in, but it was it was still okay to come back and, and collect the second uh, group of us, which Andy, you and I were, were part of the second group. Yeah. So there was a whole process, wasn't there, of, uh, oh, and you made a very quick decision. Uh, the, the helicopters were called, a helicopter was called in. Um, but there wasn't a lot of choice in the helicopter available, was there? No, the, the pilot um, that came in, he, we, we'd flown in a, in a kind of a 407, which is a bit more uh, higher end uh, helicopter. And we ended up getting the, the two-blade version of it mm. uh, which can't hold as much load and doesn't have as much lift and so uh the pilot turned to me when i arrived and i was kind of shocked to see it and was like i can only take i can only take guys no gear nothing that's mm. all i can take just because the distance involved and him and the weather involved and he's trying to give himself more margin so we had to leave all our gear um and in the process the helicopter flies like way slower as well so yeah so that uh, uh, by that point we'd we'd spent the intervening hour deconstructing the camp that we had spent eight hours putting up tearing down the tents packing them up stacking them in a nice pile we filled in the kitchen tent which uh the kitchen yeah which we dug into the ground with all lovely shelves and and uh, uh, you know, kind of storage units, hollow storage units. The the um, the cave that we stored all the food in, threw all the firewood into the kitchen tent hole and, and, and filled it all in. And then so, when the helicopter comes, we've got this kind of uh, pile of equipment and no camp anymore. And the, hel and the helicopter turns up and the <laughs> first people get in it and head off down the valley. And then Pete and I were left behind. Romy, you were in the helicopter, weren't you? Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember being, told, being told to stay behind for the second lift because I was too big. I'm not heavy, but I don't know, gangly, let's say. So you're in the second helicopter. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm... 
because I hadn't seen the bear, I was happy to to wait behind. But the helicopter did take off and it sort of flew off in one direction. And then it seemed like quite a long time later, it flew back. And we were thinking, oh, that's quick. It's come to get us. But no, it, the pass had closed in and they had to come back round and go the other way. And then we were all sitting there in this deconstructed camp with the the firewood about eight foot under the snow. We just buried it thinking, oh, we might have to spend the night if the weather closes in and the helicopter can't come back. Oh, and we, you know, we might have to build the camp. I mean, fortuitously it did, it came back, it made it and the weather was okay. Well, that was, I, I remember that as a super freaky moment, seeing that helicopter come back up the valley the way it had come, clearly because the weather had closed in down that way and it couldn't get out. I remember looking at you, Pete, and I remember you holding up, you had like a pole of some sort as if you were gonna defend us with this little branch <laughs> that you were holding. And I was thinking, oh shit, so... Oh. We lost you there, Andy, but just, just because we lost you, I was, I was just gonna say, I didn't have a little stick. I had I had a shaft, mate, with a, a big knife gaffer tape <laughs> to the end of it. And I was thinking, if it comes back, I'm gonna stand behind you and poke it. Nice, nice. I wasn't privy to that part of the plan, but yeah, makes sense. Well, I remember seeing the helicopter attempt going down another valley and you and I saying, you know, maybe it wasn't a good idea to take down the camp. We might actually have to stay here. And of course, we don't know who who else or what else is in the area with us. I remember that being a very freaky moment. Yeah, it, it was. But we got out and we got back to Terrace. And um, I mean, I do remember the getting in the helicopter and, and it taking off and looking down at all of the kit because we had to leave everything, like Owen said, behind. And I remember looking down at my new expensive um, airbag and thinking oh my airbag and then realizing that my passport and all my money was in the bag <laughs> I was thinking oh bollocks but uh, we did we got it back a couple of days later it wasn't even the next day I think it was the, the day after that wasn't it we got it yeah. back but yeah. um, you know we all got out and it was the right decision we we couldn't have stayed we had we had to leave um, yeah and actually in in the flight that um that we came out the first flight, we saw that the uh, uh, the tracks had actually went over a pass and he'd actually continued down what is known as the Zimacord, uh, which is a river. Uh, and the pilot said, well, he's, he's obviously, he's bolting, like he's going. And he was galloping down down towards the, the lower valley bottom. And that's obviously because that's where his food would be. Mm. And in that kind of flight, you know, and he's like, yeah, no, I had a buddy in Bella Coola. He was a surveyor that I've moved around for forestry and he'd just been mauled. He's in, you know, Vancouver General dealing with, the, you know, the exact kind of similar situation that you're in. Mm. And, uh, and even then, you know, it was kind of, yeah, it was pretty obvious that we should go and call. And did, can call I it. ask, Owen, did we, the first, the first chopper, did we not stop? Yeah, and we did. It landed, and we. I understand. We had a, we had a discussion right. actually, yeah. and it it was it was to do with. Uh, I was I was really conflicted because I knew that the bear had gone, but also I was conflicted with the fact that, um, personally, I I it'd be tough, but I also found that it would be tough for for everybody involved, and I at that point I was just kind of like, trying to figure out what to do, what would be the best maneuver, and. Uh, I, I kind of, 
I asked around and just wanted a general sentiment. So we landed and I said, because the pilot's like, he's gone. You can go back. You can go back. And so I have a guy that I've flown with in, in the mountains and I trust and he's telling me I can go back. And I'm like, okay, well, I can maybe salvage this trip for these guys. And I was really conflicted because I wanted either, just you're trying to do this wall on the fly and it's difficult. And so I went back and I asked, and I remember uh, it was Ben actually, I think, or Marty, one of the two. It definitely wasn't you, Rami. <laughs> and they said, no, no, we're, we're going home. We're all good. And, and the reason is because they could see like how much an effect it had on, on the people involved. And it was obvious that to spend a night would be complete torture. Mm. And uh, I think that's one of my failings, I would say, is that I just didn't stick to what I, what I believed in before and listened to the, the pilot beside me. Not that the pilot was right, but it just for our group, it was wrong. And so I think that was one of the things that I would, I would take back that moment and just say, yeah, I've got to go home now. I'm going to call mm -hmm. it a day. And I think that's these all these things when you're you're guiding, you have these incidents. You will have incidents if you're if you're ski touring by yourself or just in a group or just spend time in the mountains. And it's to reflect and kind of realize of your uh, personal kind of issues or kind of um, yeah lapse of judgments at times. And then you reflectively try to correct that in the future. Do you have a, a sort of mental framework for those incidents? Do you have a way of calming yourself down? You know, a broken femur, tibia, fibia, knee, I know bleeding, maybe not so direct as first aid where you go into autopilot, but you know, there's lots of different hazards. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of the guiding we do and a lot of the training we do, we do it uh, yearly and we've done a lot of training whether it be like first aid or avalanche rescues, cliff rescue, crevasse rescue, uh, dealing with kind of uh, just belligerent people who are, who are having some kind of medical issue or just they're just belligerent and you have to deal with them, um, which doesn't happen to very, very, like I'd say like that's point, 0.1% that you have to deal with. But if you have to deal with it, you have to deal with it. And so we practice these things. Um, and through training for courses and through kind of general yearly stuff. And, and in this incident, I've never had training in a bear incident because it's not really part of my, like, I've never had an incident like that. I've never heard of an incident mm. where people, ski tours have been kind of in dealing with that. Um, and, and so that, that was kind of a one-off. I've never, you know, I've been out in the mountains loads. I've been base camp in the spring. I've ski toured all over. I've never ran into a bear, a wolverine or anything. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, I worked as a, a guide across Africa predominantly for many years. Um, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I have never guided in snow, snow conditions. Um, and I, I don't think you should give yourself a hard time about, um, vocally you know putting to the group what possibly should have been a dialogue in your head I don't think it was I don't think asking the question was necessarily a, you know the wrong call I think just possibly asking the question to to the group I, I always thought that as a leader you needed to um and it's not a criticism mate I, you know, I'm just saying that I always thought that the minute you put the group to the a question to the group you're always going to get different answers some people are going to want to stay some people are going to go 
from where I was standing, I, think, I thought you did a, an amazing job. Yeah. Getting everybody safe, getting everybody off, and making sure everyone was reassured and everything. One thing I want, I'd like to talk about a bit is the um, counselling, because we went and, and had counselling, which I'm not sure if, if there's like a, you know, a counsellor in, in every town, but um, there is a, quite a, an alcohol issue in Terrace, isn't there? So there's like a, I don't know if that's why there's a counsellor that's sort of readily available there, but we, you sort of... Yeah. So I, I think kind of most uh, most towns that are above a certain size have some kind of counselor of some sort, and they do a wide variety of just having to deal with anything that comes up. And, right. and it was actually suggested by uh, my boss at Northern Escape. I was like, I came to him and I, I talked about it, and they're like, well, that was close. And I was like, yeah, I didn't expect it. And he's like, I would never have thought that had happened. And, you know, I mentioned that someone had mentioned that they didn't sleep that night. And, and he's like, you know, it's a bit weird, but you should probably consider doing, you know, a, a, a debriefing through the counselor. It might help, you know, some people might be affected and you don't even know, know it until you do it. So you might as well just do it. And, uh, and then you've done, done all you can, and at least people can vocalize some stuff and then process it. You might, something might come about it. And, uh, and I thought that was a great idea and I arranged it. And then I was busy doing other stuff. I should have actually been there, to be honest. It would have. Oh, helped. I thought you were there. I was, I, was, I was busy dealing with other stuff. Oh, and maybe I you were getting our kit. head in the sand. So I was doing exactly what I wasn't supposed to do. Um, I do remember though, you, you two guys, uh, Romy and Andy, both being pretty emotional actually about it. Uh, I mean, as you said, prior to to going into counselling, we just we got drunk basically, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> we got drunk and had a laugh and and made jokes. Um, I remember, Romy, you uh, vocalising the fact that you'd been thinking about about your family whilst you were. Yeah, I, th I mean, I, and I hadn't. I, it, that came later. I think that came later. That became that came between the bear, the return, the getting drunk, and the getting to the counselling. That I had a one-year-old at that point, and uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it surprised me actually because I remember me and you joked about my voice going all wobbly in the in the counselling. And that was a that that was just that just came out of I'm not going to say nowhere that was true but it wasn't something I felt it came out as I was it going through my feelings about the the incident. Mm. Yeah, sort of during the debrief. And yeah. I mean, and Andy, I, I recall you were very upset, almost like a survivor's guilt because you were out front. You were feeling really yeah, bad. Yeah, that's if you'd done something wrong by by just being the, the by by being the there in the position that I had ended up being, yeah. Um, I did feel, yeah, quite guilty and was, yeah, a little bit tearful, wasn't I, in that, in that, in that meeting? Uh, and, you know, it's not something which bugs me uh, day to day, but when I put myself back into that situation, yeah, I can still feel uh, the guilt associated with, uh, with that. And I, I do remember thinking, those skiers are going to be able to do this turnaround really quickly. <laughs> I'm going to need to. I'm going to need to fumble quite a lot, and you know, take twice as long. I'm going to really need to get ahead, and because I was ahead, I steam. I, you know, I steamed ahead as fast as I could. Um, but yeah, in that meeting, I I didn't feel good about that. Yeah, yeah I think um, the thing I took from the meeting, which which was really reassuring, I felt was um, that 
when the councillor was sort of summing up, she said, um, you know, it's it's very normal for you to, to sort of have thoughts about this and fears about this. And if you find, you know, that it's changing your behaviour, as in you're not uh, recreating in the same way as you would prior to the incident, then it is to become a concern. And if this is like next week, then that's that's fine. But if this is like in a month or in two months time, and you're still not back to normal and recreating or feeling free and open in the countryside as you were, then that is an issue. And we all walked out and we were standing there on the pavement. And I can't remember Owen if you'd come back by then, but we were like, should we go up the mountain then? And everyone was like, yeah, let's go up the mountain. So we, we sort of got over it within 30 seconds of leaving. Leaving the counselling. That was some. That was some fine counselling. That it was one. really good. Yeah, you got your, your, your good money's worth. Yeah. Because, yeah, we were all, all mended. I mean, I remember it being pretty deep in there and some real emotion. But yeah, we were we were all good to go snowboarding straight away. So so that was great. Well, maybe we should yeah. leave it there, guys. Uh, unless anyone else has got anything to add. Um, Owen, it's been a joy talking to you, honestly, and thanks ever so much for doing it because I know it's kind of, you know, a bear and client, and I know you you were in charge, so there was a bear and sure. you, you, you know, worried about chatting about it, maybe. But you know, no no one that was there is, is casting any blame. I think you did a really really good job, you know, and you should be proud of yourself, really, and yeah. keeping everybody safe and making the right decisions and the right calls and getting us out of there. You know, we all came back and we're all ready to. To go back with you again some other time so yeah unfinished business not all that bad yeah yeah everybody on that tour that i've spoken to is like unfinished business we've got to go back and do that again we're getting yeah. a guide this time though it's what most of them say <laughs> <laughs> yeah no there's some things we'll have to change but yeah it'll be good yeah no no it's amazing terrain and uh you know we had the one run and it was it was an adventure you know so we actually we actually had a lot of good riding after that we had some amazing riding you did a brilliant job you had people sleeping in your room on the sofa and you yeah. know kept us entertained kept us touring yeah eric, eric was a really good sport too you know yeah, yeah the show the show must go on so and yeah. yeah. It went on from like you got us rental gear, didn't you? It was all sorted out. It was super slick, and we were we were touring again really quickly from from Shames Mountain. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that was that was from uh, you know friends and coworkers. That basically, it was I had a major thanks to a lot of people who basically had helped me out through that whole period. Basically, either just keeping you busy while I did other stuff and. And just logistics and people I can depend on, and that's that's essentially what you usually try to have before you do one of these trips. And I actually had to use my emergency call out list, and the people came and helped me out, which is great. So, yeah, I mean, I must admit, when I speak to a lot of people about where their favorite resort is anywhere in the world, it's amazing how many people say Shames. That we're on that trip, they're like Shames. Shames is brilliant, you know. I'm like. Oh, I'm compiling a list of resorts and every everyone's always James, James. So, you know, we had a blast after the trip, after the uh, yeah. coming back from the camp, you know. And yeah, we, we, we did have we to put up with the uh, with the, the lifties joke every time we got to the bottom of the lift. Um, 
You're the Brits who can barely, barely see. see.